0: And good morning, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. On a welcome live out of the Common Workspace studios, you're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on 1030 The Voice, daily in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. And uh, a happy Tuesday, Wednesday Eve here on the show to all of our listeners and, of course, Matt. Uh, who makes the magic happen on the other side of the glass. Uh, it is uh, it is my Monday today because of a great team who held down the fort yesterday, the actual Monday. So my days are all screwed up, Matt. I don't know what today is, but I'm here in the seat. It's 9 o'clock, and I think that's all that matters. Good morning to you, Matt.
1: <laughs> Happy Zach's Monday. Happy uh, Wednesday Eve, and I'm looking forward to getting over the hump this week. I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Is is there is there a special day today that we should be aware of? or is it an insignificant not
2: day? that I have handy no sir
0: <laughs> we've had some wild ones over the last uh, over the last week and a half but it, it's just Wednesday Eve today uh, just a, a normal show uh, some good conversations this week I'll tell you about that a little bit later we have a, a guest on the line I want to get to that sooner than later we're gonna talk uh, with uh, a, a a community friend of mine our worlds are colliding The Desert Sage School, a public charter school in Tucson, is opening in August, and we're going to talk with the founders of uh, that high school here uh, at the end of the hour, but not before uh, we talk with Supervisor Rex Scott. He's a Democrat representing Pima County in District 1 uh, on the north side of Pima County. Supervisor Scott, uh, good to be with you on our live line, 520-790-2040. I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
3: Zach, thanks very much. Good to be here with you and Matt and your listeners.
0: Uh, it's, it's a little weird to to hear you over the phone and not see you in person, uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's all good. It's good to be with you. Um, I'm, I'm glad you give us
3: this option. I'd always rather be in the studio, but uh, circumstances dictated that I call in today, so thanks for accommodating that
0: totally good technology, tech, The COVID technology taught us flexibility. A uh, supervisor, a uh, 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 fellow supervisor, Grijalva, uh, asked earlier in the month for an inventory of surplus county-owned parcels and buildings that could be used for development of affordable housing. Uh, this was an item that you campaigned on. This is an item that uh, I know is important to you uh, since you've been supervisor. Uh, Give an update for us on that, and what's the scope once that inventory comes in? What's the goal with county-owned property, and, and why would it be helpful to tackling the housing crisis here?
3: Zach, the county administrator at the direction of the board has appointed a task force that is made up of both public and private sector Uh, representatives, people who have an interest in developing a regional affordable housing strategy. And that task force is charged with uh, retooling uh, the board's housing commission. And one of the presentations that was recently made to the task force by representatives from the county's development services department uh, outlined some parcels of of county-owned land that conceivably could be made available uh, for the development of affordable housing. Because not only do we need to uh, make the best use of the existing stock, the existing housing stock in our community, uh, but there's also obviously a need for uh, additional parcels of, of affordable housing. And one of the ways that local governments can have an effect on affordable housing and its availability is by making available to developers uh, tracts of county-owned land. And so uh, what uh, Supervisor Grahalva was doing was asking for some follow-up to the board on that presentation that was made to the Housing Task Force. Uh, She has also asked for a uh, line item in the budget uh, to uh, put aside some funds for the support of the development of affordable housing, and that's something we're going to be talking about as the budget process moves forward. That may also be a good placeholder for funds that uh, may be available uh, via the state budget uh, that state government is going to make available to local governments as the state budget continues to be discussed
0: as well. We're with Supervisor Rex Scott this morning. I want to ask you too before we're done here in this first half hour of the of the program about the vote center implementation plan and also the budget that you've uh, had multiple hearings about this month. So lots sure. to get to. Uh, but before we go there, uh, kind of a question follow up, Supervisor. I think land banking or providing public owned land in a uh, private, you know, to private developers, I think a very a significant and effective way to start saying let's, let's, let's develop more. I think what's interesting in Pima County is we've seen the city of Tucson develop plans around this. I know Pima County wants to develop a strategy around housing and we have, I mean, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of nonprofits who are specifically looking at how do we increase housing stock, yet our housing stock is growing so slowly and Pima County, how do we put gas on this fire supervisor? How do we you know, get the tens of thousands of not just affordable, but also market rate and workforce housing that we need to balance the supply and demand challenge?
3: I think we need to take a look at what other local governments around our state and country have done to play a positive role in increasing the stock of affordable housing and it's important that we differentiate between the roles that government can play and what government can do is as i said earlier perhaps make uh, tracts of public land available for the development of affordable housing we certainly can make some decisions uh, with regard to zoning Uh, we also can work with uh, the state and federal governments to maximize the the use of uh, state and federal Funds or, or, or tax credits that may be available to developers, but one of the things that the affordable housing task force is is looking at is what is the appropriate role of government and what is the appropriate role of the private sector. Uh, I was really encouraged when I saw what uh, Tempe had done uh, in terms yes. of uh, in, in terms of that municipal government's. Uh, recognition of where they could play a role, and also uh, their recognition of where they needed to incentivize and encourage the private sector to do what really only the private sector can do.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Tempe is in the state. Tempe is the model. Um, i would I would completely. Um, I would completely agree with that. Last question on this, Supervisor. If you don't have the number on the top of your head, that's okay, this this just came to my mind too. Uh, But one thing Tempe did was basically said, okay, here's the number of units that we are short, affordable market rate, Uh, luxury, you know, development. I think, by the way, all that is important in this whole mix. Um, uh, I I know the city of Tucson number, Supervisor Scott, do you have a Pima County number? Let's just talk affordable housing, uh, uh, 60 to 120% AMI. Do you know a ballpark number of units that need to be developed yesterday (laughs) to to meet the demand that we have?
3: I don't, Zach. And, and no one of the things that I would like to see a retooled housing commission take on uh, is doing that kind of uh, market survey that, that Tempe did, where they not only uh, noted the overall need for housing, but they did it in, in different different segments of, yes. the, uh, of the housing economy. And, and we need that, that kind of approach and I appreciate you mentioning the city because the long-term goal for the county's housing commission is to work in partnership with the city and with the uh, other jurisdictions on coming up with a regional approach uh, to uh, to dealing with the issue of, of affordable housing. Uh, every major every major metropolitan area in the country is is facing the need to confront this. Uh, uh, these realities. uh, And we can't do that in a vacuum. We need to involve Tucson. We need to involve the smaller jurisdictions in a regional approach.
0: Agreed. Supervisor Rex Scott is with us, a uh, Democrat representing Pima County uh, in District 1. When we come back from our first break of the hour, more on the other side. We'll talk about the the new vote centers uh, that are being implemented, that implementation plan. Uh, what happens if it all goes right? What happens if it doesn't go right? you got to plan for both. And then the budget. Uh, I have a uh, a question about uh, about taxes and the budget as well on the other side. Lots to go with Supervisor Scott. We'll be right back here on Tipping Point. I'm your host Zach Yenser. Don't go anywhere.
4: We're the place where Tucson comes to talk. Ten thirty. The Voice.
0: Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is proud to present Brad Callhammer, 1159 to Tucson, a solo exhibition of works by Tucson-born, Mason, New York-based Brad Callhammer, who creates highly personal narratives that are autobiographical reflections on three realms of his life, his indigenous heritage, his middle American upbringing in a white adoptive family, and his work as an artist and musician. To learn more and to get your tickets, go to TucsonMuseumOfArt.org.
4: With preseason and the season opener in the books, FC Tucson is looking forward to a great season, and John Perlman and his squad aren't slowing down. Join your FC Tucson soccer club Saturday, April 30th, May 7th, and May 20th for Let's Go 520 Night, celebrating this great city. Get your season or game tickets at FCTucson.com and Let's Pack Kino
0: Stadium this season. That's FCTucson.com. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70-plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business.
5: Tucson homeowners do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market well you're not alone that's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true they work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash pay above market value waive the appraisal and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market if you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation go to Tucson Cash
2: Hi, this is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906. Or visit us at extension.arizona.org. Study. Do you?
6: time with Devin and her team. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting
3: banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West, federally insured by NCUA.
4: This is John Trout. Join me for America in the Morning as we go in-depth with analysis on the issues that affect your everyday life. Weekday mornings at 5 on 1030
0: KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of southern Arizona. Good morning. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. You're on AM 1030 KVUI. The voice calling in to 520-790-2040. Our live line is Rex Scott. He's a Pima County supervisor representing District 1 uh, up on the north side. Supervisor, uh, you've been an advocate for uh, the new vote centers that are being implemented Uh, My understanding is that that implementation uh, ahead of the 2022 midterm is underway. Um, There are plans if things go wrong. For example, I understand is if printers don't arrive, paper ballots will be used, Uh, polling precincts, going back to those is the complete fallback if things fall apart. Uh, Give me what you're optimistic about and Are you having any concerns as this begins implemented that Pima County won't be ready for this new method by the 2022 midterms?
3: I don't have that concern at all, Zach. And it's important to point out a couple of things before we get into this. First of all, uh, if trend lines uh, that we've seen over the last several elections uh, continue, well over 70 percent of pima county voters will vote by mail uh, that has been the preferred method of voting not just in pima county but in arizona uh, really for almost 20 years and we probably won't have as many people voting by mail this year as we did in 2020 at the height of the pandemic but it will still be the preferred method of voting Secondly, uh, we are not moving away from the use of paper ballots, Uh, regardless of whether you return your ballot by mail or vote at one of the vote centers. We are continuing to use and will continue to use paper ballots. There's no electronic voting, uh, which is something that we sometimes hear in the District 1 office. That is not happening. Uh, There are going to be 129 vote centers throughout Pima County, And anybody who wants to vote in person on election day, either in August or November, can vote at either one of those 129 vote centers. And uh, we have already heard that the e-poll books, uh, which are the electronic rosters of voters, uh, all of those are in. Uh, There will be no issue with with having those. And, And remember that All 14 of the other Arizona counties already use e-poll books. So this is not new technology for our state, but it is new uh, for Pima County as the last one to put them in place. Uh, The board got an update from Ms. Hargrove, the head of the Elections Division, at our last meeting. Uh, She indicated that the vendor has told her that all of the ballot-on-demand printers should be available to us uh, in time for not only training of staff, but obviously in time for the August primary and November general election. Uh, in case the vendor is not able uh, to follow up on that commitment, she does have a backup plan for, uh, for for dealing with that. But again, she's gotten that commitment from the vendor. So I think we are in a in a good position. And I also think that we know, as a county, that we have to get this right this first year of making use of the of the vote centers and we're going to
0: yeah it's uh it's going to be interesting there, you know there's a this is a total tangent and we'll move on supervisor but georgia the state of georgia has a huge primary today um and we are seeing in places like georgia record turnout that surpassed the 2020 election uh, presidential election turnout um and 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 my hunch is we'll probably see uh, similar trends in Arizona as we head towards the, towards the end of the year. I wanted to ask you, Supervisor, about the budget. Uh, in the beginning of the hearing process, um, there was a, a proposal from Administrator Lesher that was characterized as recommending that you as the board take $9 million dollars uh, of the drop in secondary taxes because of some debt service, some some bond debt being serviced, I guess, um, to um, uh, 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 convert that to an increase in the primary tax rate. How has that conversation developed throughout the budget hearing, and what do you think the impact will be on the final budget?
3: I think what you're referring to is that Ms. Lesher sent the board a number of potential property tax rate scenarios uh, that we could consider uh, but what is in the recommended budget and what i expect uh, the board will approve indeed we already approved it tentatively uh, when we did tentative adoption of the budget and the tax rate uh, at our last meeting is that overall the overall property tax rate uh, will go down by 13 cents per a hundred dollars of assessed valuation from what it is this year uh it is the case however that uh, because property values continue to increase and because the county is not the only entity that uses the property tax to fund its operations uh, so does pima community college so did the school districts so did the fire districts so does the um, central arizona water conservation district uh, because of that increase in values and because we don't know what those other entities will do, it is likely uh, that people will see uh, an overall increase in, their, uh, in, in the tax that they're paying, primarily because of that increased uh, property valuation. But we took that into account when we were setting the uh, overall property
0: tax rates. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think to, to maybe clarify my original question, my understanding is that the secondary sales tax rate is going to fall by about $15 million, and that's due to the county paying off uh, prior debt. Um, is, is, is that going to, um, uh, is that just going to, is that part of the decrease that you're mentioning, I guess is my question.
3: Well, remember that in order to fund our uh, PAYGO program, uh, which is how the uh, county uses a combination of state and local funds to pay for all of our capital improvements, including uh, road, road repair and maintenance, uh, we use 60% of the reduction in the secondary property tax that pays for our long-term debt uh, to fund that program. And then the remaining uh, 40% reduction uh, is used to help reduce the primary property Mm. tax rate. Uh, What you and I were just talking about a couple of minutes ago is the overall property tax rate, which is the combination of the primary property tax and then the three secondary property taxes, the one that funds long-term debt, the one that funds the library district, and the one that funds the regional flood control district. So the overall... Uh, county property tax rate is going down by 13 cents per $100 of assessed valuation compared with what it was in this uh, last fiscal year.
0: Supervisor Rex Scott, we will leave it there for now. Thanks for uh, coming on as always. Uh, and if anybody listening wants to follow up with you on the other side of this conversation, how do they get a hold of you these days?
3: Uh, they can call our office at 520. Uh, 520- 724-2738. Uh, uh, they can also go to our website, which is district1, that's number1.pima.gov, one. Uh, and uh, leave a feedback form, and uh, we get back to uh, every, anyone who calls or emails the office within 24 hours.
0: Perfect. Supervisor Scott, once again, thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to our next conversation. Until then, uh, be well and stay safe out there
3: same to you, Zach. And I want to uh, wish my wife an early happy anniversary. We have our 28th anniversary on Saturday. Congratulations.
0: Congratulations, Thanks, Supervisor Scott. You got it. Tucson we will be back after a short break. Don't go anywhere. Much more to go. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70 plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed business.
5: Tucson homeowners. Do you have equity in your home and would like to sell, but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like, with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash offer.com. When you manage
3: your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. For more talk that makes you think, listen to my show, The Dennis Prager Show, this afternoon from 4 to 6 on 1030 KVOI, The Voice.
0: And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. We are live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser here on AM 1030 KVI, The Voice, the in depth news conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. A bullishly local show, uh, committed to talking about the, uh, the meat and potato issues locally, um, that don't get covered. Uh, in a lot of state and national conversations. Plenty of places to find that. Um, We are bullishly local uh, because local matters too. Uh, This segment is sponsored in part by Little Love Burger. They opened downtown last fall, and I'm pleased to share they're doing really well. Uh, Just a few doors down from the Rialto Theater. You can follow them on social media at Little Love Burger. They're certain up the juiciest burgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, local brews, and breakfast sandwiches. Mention you heard about them here on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for a 1515 percent discount off your next order. Uh, and the Yenser Rogers rate continues just down the street. Basically, Decibel Coffee Works will provide ten percent off. Your next order there on coffee, beans, pastries, uh, other drinks, and more. Uh, check them out right off of uh, Avenida del Convento, uh, I-10, and uh, Cushing uh, and Congress, kind of between Cushing and Congress, off the um, off the I-10. So that's uh, that's ten percent off. Uh, see what you started, Matt. It's the Yenzer Rogers rate. You can the s- Yenzer rate. It's a thing. The- <laughs> The yes rate, yeah, it is a thing. Love working with some of our uh, some of our great partners um, to uh, to to make to make that happen. Uh, man, lots going on. Where do we start? We got a short segment. We're going to uh, visit with a new charter school in Tucson, uh, Midtown Tucson, in the fourth segment. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, what's up ahead this week? I can tell you. In a, in a second. We have our faith and culture contributor tomorrow, Ruben Navarrete, the most widely read Latino columnist in the country. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about how do we catch our students up from COVID? Jensen Azarias from Higher Ground will be with us. Uh, and then uh, Matt, I'm excited about this one. The commencement speaker for the University of Arizona uh, was Dante Loretta, who headed up the Osiris-Rex mission uh he's going to be with us on friday because it's always a beautiful day in the space city of the southwest so that's a that'll be a fun way this be a lot of to, fun yeah uh, to close this close the show for sure i didn't get to go to commencement but some of the people who were there uh, said he just did an incredible job it was a great pick um, to have him there and i'm looking forward to uh, kind of having him deliver some of that mojo uh, here, when we have him on, uh, when we have him on the air, um, I've got three minutes uh, before we go to our break, and then close out with uh, Desert Sage School, uh, new charter school. Um, something that Supervisor Rex Scott mentioned that got my gears turning because it's I've seen multiple kind of thought pieces and multiple news pieces um, about this. Uh, is uh, you know how do we make how do we make more housing happen um, in in Tucson? Uh, Again, both – the the, the Tempe model, right? I think Tempe is a model in the state on this and and I said so during the conversation uh, because Tempe uh, basically did two things that I think Tucson should be doing quite frankly. They had clarity on what kind of housing they needed to create, right? Not just – we need to stop probably using the word affordable, we should probably start using the word attainable. And no, that's not you know jargon or bureaucratic speak. Um, affordable housing has a concept that is limited. And attainable means, look, whether you're looking for um, housing that's in a lower um, average media income or you're looking for market rate housing or you're looking for a luxury product, uh, I think a thriving community needs the right proportions of all of it. Uh, and Tempe said, look, we probably need this amount in this kind, and this amount in this kind, and this amount in this kind. And that did an amazing thing. Uh, it, it actually set a strategy out uh, for saying, okay, how do we get from this level to this level in this kind of housing? Uh, and then they said, okay, we're gonna figure out a way where we can say for any new development that we, um, you know, that we say yes to in this community, we're gonna take a certain percentage uh, of a certain permit fee, and we're gonna put it into a housing fund to help incentivize it development of this kind of housing. Can, can, can I can I pitch to whoever is listening out there uh, that per usual, these things are not hard in the sense that somebody has thought of them. They've been done somewhere. The strategies are somewhat straightforward. It's more about vision and execution, right? We, we, we don't need wheels reinvented we know some of the strategies and we certainly know that we need to uh, make sure that our regulatory and permitting environment is fast, efficient and straightforward to be able to get some of this housing that we need built and developed but but i think the way that we get more housing is to build more housing and you know uh, i was chatting with a friend yesterday and I'm digging more into the details, but Minneapolis, right, has seen, you know, streets that were single-story industrial zones uh, ten years ago, in a ten-year time, you know, become a street full of multifamily housing. And I know in Tucson, people hear that, and they, I think, a lot of people. Um, have negative reactions uh, for either what they think multifamily housing brings or what the cost is going to be. But Minneapolis has actually seen uh, its housing costs go down. Right? I've said this on the show. Supply and demand is not the only solution, but you can't get any solutions long-term if supply does not meet demand. Uh, And I, I think in Pima County, and I mentioned this to the supervisor when we were talking, there is actually... Uh, a a plethora, uh, a cornucopia of public sector and nonprofit organizations who all agree, who all get funding, who all report to donors around how do we make more housing happen. And and I would submit to whoever is listening that the data doesn't show that more housing is happening. There are dollars, there are organizations, there is not the product. And we got to break through whatever is happening there uh, to, to figure this out and and, and and we just have to do it and so I think the way to create more housing is more housing we, we can develop the strategies we can develop the plans we can develop the collaborations but in Tucson we're just simply not doing the work yet and the work has to get done because the problem isn't getting better it's getting worse it's fascinating I'll leave on this because I'm already out of time but for the house that my wife and I bought in Tucson, not terribly long ago, with what we paid in that mortgage when we bought it, you can now only afford to live in a one bedroom rental on average in Tucson. Doesn't matter, that's an average of wherever, south side, north side, east side, west side, for what we pay to live in a three bedroom house that we bought not that long ago, that mortgage payment will only rent you a one bedroom apartment in Tucson. In a, in a period that is less than 10 years. That's a problem. When we come back from break, we're going to talk with a, an exciting new charter school project happening right here in Tucson. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
4: CBS News at the top and bottom of every hour. 1030 The Voice. Trusted local news and talk.
6: time with Devin and her team.
0: Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is proud to present Brad Callhammer, 1159 to Tucson, a solo exhibition of works by Tucson-born, Mason, New York-based Brad Callhammer who creates highly personal narratives that are autobiographical reflections on three realms of his life, his indigenous heritage, his middle American upbringing in a white adoptive family, and his work as an artist and musician. To learn more and to get your tickets, go to TucsonMuseumOfArt.org.
4: With preseason and the season opener in the books, FC Tucson is looking forward to a great season, and John Perlman and his squad aren't slowing down. Join your FC Tucson soccer club Saturday, April 30th, May 7th, and May 20th for Let's Go 520 Night, celebrating this great city. Get your season or game tickets at fctucson.com, and let's pack Kino Stadium this season. That's
0: fctucson.com. Zach Yenso here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson, located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater. Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, little hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their bee on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? Did you know that Arizona is the first state in the country to implement a program like Earn to Learn has right here to support students with matched college savings? Through your investment, you enable students to leverage their own savings and resources to acquire the life-changing asset of a college education. If you want to be a part of increasing students' earning potential, minimizing student debt, closing the opportunity gap, and putting deserving individuals on a path to success, go to -to EarnToLearn.org to find out more. Hi,
2: This is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906. Or visit us at extension.arizona.edu. This is Bill Buckmaster. Join us for the Buckmaster Show at noon on 1030, Tucson's Voice for Trusted News Talk.
0: And we're back Tucson and all of southern Arizona live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser here on AM 1030 KVOI, The Voice. Uh, our closing conversation on this Tuesday, Wednesday Eve show is with the uh, organizers of Desert Sage School. Uh, and this conversation, before we get into it, is sponsored uh, in uh, uh, by Vantage West Credit Union, a partnership that we have to highlight great organizations and great people doing great things coming out of COVID with a bright future. Uh, we've all heard about uh, essential workers throughout COVID. This campaign is uh, a, a, an essential customer, essential patron, uh, essential supporter uh, campaign to spotlight great organizations and encourage you to support them here in Tucson, Without further ado, in studio with us. Uh, I'll introduce uh, a longtime friend of mine, uh, Steve Brown. Steve Brown with Desert Sage School. Steve, good to be with you. Good morning, Zach. Uh, good to be with you. Thank you for inviting us to come on today. Absolutely. And then my biggest test of the day, because I just met you, right. Tiane.
7: Tiana, exactly.
0: I've always said, if I can get the name right, the rest <laughs> will happen. <laughs> Tiana uh, is with us as well, uh, two organizers of this Desert Sage Uh, Desert Sage School here in Tucson. So Tiane, maybe I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the Desert Sage School and kind of the educational tradition it comes out of, and we'll get into why Tucson, why Midtown Tucson, really.
7: All right, awesome. Well, thank you for having us on this morning. Um, Always exciting to talk about Desert Sage School. We are opening this fall. We are a in public inspired Waldorf Charter High School, and it's
0: a mouthful. It
7: is. It really is. But, but
0: you've practiced a few times.
7: I have. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically means that we are inspired by the um, we inspired by the principles of public Waldorf education. And public Waldorf education essentially says that. Students come to school with something inside them already. Um, A lot of people think of education as filling students up with knowledge that they need. And Waldorf says, actually, students already have these amazing things within them, and education is supposed to spark joy within them, get them excited about learning, help them discover what kinds of things that they are excited about, and that's what Desert Sage School is really focusing on at the high school level.
0: I love it. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit more about what a Waldorf education is. I'm sure some of our listeners have heard of that before, but what does that mean?
7: Sure. So Waldorf education is over 100 years old. It was first established in Germany right after World War I, so in between World War I and World War Two, And it was established for workers of a big factory. And they said all students deserve to have an education that is rich and full and more than just cerebral or academic. And that kind of began Waldorf education from Rudolf Steiner, who was the founder of it. And now today, it's in it's all across the world, all across America, and it is in over 60 languages across the world. So it is this wow. really rich, deep philosophy that looks at um, the person as an intrinsic being within them. And education of Waldorf is very connected to being developmentally appropriate. So meeting students exactly where they are at that age in their development as they're growing into a human adult, I would say.
0: Very cool. Mm -hmm. I want to pull Steve in on this. Steve, why does Tucson uh, need a tuition-free public charter high school in the heart of the city?
1: Okay, well, let me address those one at a time. A tuition-free public charter high school based on the Waldorf tradition is something new in Tucson. Tucson has Waldorf elementary schools, one of which is a charter school and one of which is an independent school, but there's no public charter Waldorf high school in Tucson, so we'll be the first in southern Arizona. There is one in Phoenix. And we wanted to bring the, the strengths of Waldorf education specifically to Tucson because of Tucson's diversity. Uh, Waldorf education celebrates diversity and inclusion and equity, and we want to have every student who enrolls in Desert Sage School be able to bring their entire person to the, to the school. Uh, their culture, their life experience, their family's story, if you will, and building a school culture and a school community out of all of those stories, all of those cultures, all of those communities, while meeting all of the Arizona education standards and actually exceeding those, uh, we are, uh, our, our course of study prepares students for college uh, in Arizona and throughout the country. We exceed the, uh, the requirements for admission to University of Arizona or colleges in Arizona while doing that we infuse art into all of the classes and i would encourage folks your listeners which were i know are, are a diverse group to go to our website www.desertsageschool.org and they can look at the entire curriculum there they can look they can meet our directors our school board we are a public charter school which means that our meetings our board meetings are open meetings folks can come uh, and uh, listen and uh, speak at our board meetings during the call to the public. And we are s- setting ourselves in the center of town at 3434 34 East Broadway so that folks from all over Tucson will be, ac- be accessible to folks from all over Tucson. We're going to be enrolling grades 9 and 10, and the school opens on August 8th with grades 9 and 10.
0: That's exciting. Uh, I mean, I, I uh, whoever wants to maybe answer this question or answer it, answer it first. You know, I think that most people know by now that uh, that the Tucson area is not uh, creating high school graduates that are prepared for the workforce of the future. Sure. Uh, the Bureau of uh, Labor basically says by early 2030, 50 percent of all new jobs will require you know, a college degree. Now, on this show, we don't say that college is for everyone Mm -hmm. or that everyone should go to college, but we know that our math scores, our English scores, our basic proficiencies coming out of this region, our high schoolers getting into college are not prepared. We're not producing the talent that we need. Uh, Tiana, how does does, um, the Desert Sage School contribute to turning that ship around?
7: Absolutely, so one of the things that excites me about this model, Waldorf education, and this philosophy, is that it's all very hands-on and project-based. I want to tell you a quick story. I have um, three younger children, and my oldest is in first grade, and he is at the independent Waldorf school here. Okay. And um, when he was younger, I was in the classroom, and I heard this like stomping next door, and I asked his teacher, I said, what? what is that? She said, oh, they're learning their times tables with jump roping. And I thought that was so interesting. And they also, on that same day, were creating these boxes with little jewels, and that this was the basis of learning square root. So they're in mm-hmm. second grade, the class next door, and they're learning how to create square root boxes with jewels, and they don't know that that's what they're learning. But when they get to sixth grade and they're learning these principles in math, it picks they pick it up so quickly and so easily because they've already in- encountered it at a younger age through an artistic medium by building it themselves, hands-on, touching. And that looks like in high school, when you are in physics class, maybe you are learning the the principles of physics through creating a Ferris wheel with, I don't know, straws and pipe cleaners or something like that. So the idea is the things that we are learning are not just black and white that we're writing down on a paper or that we're listening to a teacher tell us. The things that we're learning in school are students are supposed to be able to touch it move it around, manipulate it, encounter it so that when they leave it's in them deeper, right? It's not just information that they needed to say out on a test, but when they leave they actually have picked up these skills and it means something to them. And that's how we develop students who can go out into the workforce because they they have a deeper understanding and a meaning of these things and and it's fun. So they want to learn it that way too. And we we want students to be excited about learning just in general so that they continue to be lifelong learners.
1: And, and I can add, add to that as well that everything that Tene has said is, is true of the high school curriculum as well. And uh, actually, Stanford University did a very in depth multi year study of how graduates from Waldorf high schools fare in college. And they found out that they have a much higher retention rate, wow. uh, a lower dropout rate, and that they are able to focus on their career skills because they're bringing this diversity of experience from high school into college. And so there's a link to that study on our website mm, okay. at uh, www.desertstageschool.org. And, and I would also add that uh, we infuse this learner-centered learning into all the subjects. For example, with math, instead of beginning with theory and formulas, we begin with the outcome we look in the newspaper or we look at an advertisement and we find a number and then we say to the students, where did that number come from? How was that number derived? Mm-hmm. And we have them pick a number. It might be a sports score. It might be an advertisement for for a bedroom set. But we say, where did that number come from? And then as they think about it, they work backwards and they find out the research perhaps that led to that number. They find out why that particular number came into existence, and if it's an advertisement, what that number means for whoever they're hoping to have buy the product. And so that's called quantitative reasoning uh, and numerical literacy. Rather than just giving them math, we start with the outcome, and then they need to work backwards and figure out where that number came from. And that teaches critical thinking skills and also the skills to be able to look at something, anything, whether it's a math outcome or a science outcome or a literature outcome, and say, hmm, why is that
0: there? I like it. Uh, th- a quick rapid-fire question, because I want to leave time before we uh, let you both go to talk about how people can go and enroll and, and discover this. But I, I think the opportunity to cho- to choose school environments that are catered to the learning style of the student is really powerful for families. Who is, I can't think of a better way to ask this question, who's the ideal student besides everybody, who's the (laughs) ideal student for families and parents listening? Who does this work best for?
7: That's a really great question. So one of the strengths of Water of Education is that students get to encounter something from multiple different directions. They get to hear it, they get to watch it, they get to touch it. So this education works really well for students who might not have done well in a traditional high school, mm. where they're just hearing information and expected to write it down. Okay. So different learning modalities, students who have different learning modalities, it's really good for them. Also, students who are really excited about arts and creativity, mm-hmm. because they're getting the chance to incorporate that into all of their different subjects. So this would really appeal to them as well.
0: I appreciate that. When we were exploring uh, educational you know, institutions for my daughter, my daughter is artistically uh, and art and music inclined and so f- uh, a school that fit that for her was really important mm-hmm. important to us. Uh, Alright, I don't want to get out of here before we ask how do parents listening uh, DesertSageSchool.org is the best place to go?
7: Absolutely. Also check us out on our social media. We've got, got Facebook and Instagram and so on. Um, but enrolling at DesertSageSchool.org and you can also shoot us an email and if you've got any questions, we would be happy to answer them for you.
0: Uh, Opening August 2022, enrolling grades 9 and 10. Steve, Tiana, it was great to be with you this morning. Congratulations. Much success to you and we'll catch up on the other side. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Thank you both. Tucson, that does it for us here on Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, for more Tipping Point here on AM 1030 KVY the voice, you <laughs> hew up next but Buckmaster at noon. Thanks for listening Tucson.